turn up your radio, it's time for DeLorean Talk with your host, Dave Tavers. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of DeLorean Talk. As always, thanks for listening. This is Dave Tavers, VIN 10515, calling from Las Vegas, Nevada. Today, I am excited to start with a special series of DeLorean talk that is going to totally focus on tech discussions. A lot of people have mentioned over the last couple of years that they enjoy when there's more technical discussion on the episodes with different people. So this time I invited two people that have already been on the show to join me and who, for not being full-time DeLorean mechanics, they have done a lot of work to their cars. So I'm excited to have Chris Miles and Ryan Foster with us. Chris Miles is currently a high school teacher in Fresno, California. He's owned two DeLoreans for several years and bought his first one in October 2009, which was VIN 16409. Being in Fresno, there's not a lot of cars or repair shops nearby, so he taught himself how to fix almost everything on his car with just the use of the Internet and reading. Ryan Foster was a former Harley-Davidson mechanic who now lives near Burlington, North Carolina. He went to a vocational school as a kid for auto technician, and his dad's a fabricator, so he's right at home working on cars. He bought his first DeLorean in 2001, which was VIN 16301, but sold it shortly thereafter. He bought his second DeLorean in March 2018, VIN 06668, and he's done a lot of work to his car as well as several other DeLoreans, including his mom's DeLorean. So uh, both of them have been on the show before, so you can go back to DeLoreanTalk.com, click on all episodes, and hear their episodes to get their full stories. But for now, we're going to uh, start off with uh, a story that I have about one of the first times that I met Chris. Hey, Chris and Ryan, thanks for joining. Thanks. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Doing great. Uh, we've talked about this for, I don't know, at least a year, and I'm glad we're finally getting around to it. Works out to be a good time for you guys, and we've gotten a couple of questions over the last year, year and a half. A couple of the questions have been around suspension options and the solid-state relays that Dave McKean puts out. Those are a couple of directions you can go, but I know you guys know a lot. You've both helped me a ton in the past, in person and over the phone, talking through a lot of technical issues, and this will be a good opportunity for other people to get ideas, input, and Hopefully, people will write in. Anybody who has questions for future episodes, you can send an email to comments at DeLoreanTalk.com, and uh, I'll add them to the list. A couple of years ago, my second trip to DeLorean Weekend Las Vegas, I was very excited because I had sent my original ASI radio to Paris to have Dimitri put a Bluetooth in it. And I got it back before DeLorean Weekend, and I wanted to show it off at the event. Well, when I put the radio back in, Apparently, I had messed up some of the stuff in the back. So just before I drove to Las Vegas in October, my center air vent no longer put out air. The, the AC would run, the fans were working, but no air came out of the center vent. Turned out that there's an air flap that controls the airflow through that top center vent was not opening. You can barely drive that car if it gets warm. If you don't have that center air vent, forget it. So I crawled underneath. It's an oven. It's an oven, yeah. So I crawled underneath, used a coat hanger, and basically jammed the flap open so that I'd have air coming through. And it worked fine, uh, and it wasn't the end of the world. I had talked to a local shop, and they wanted to charge me a huge amount of money to replace the entire mechanism. So I was bummed out, but this worked. And at that time, being in Southern California, basically I always ran with the AC on, so it didn't really matter if that flap worked or not as long as it was open. Well, somewhere around 1 o'clock in the morning, we're, uh, several of us are standing in the driveway at, at the Brandy's home, and Chris Miles was the first time I had met Chris. He, I made a comment about it, and he's like, well, wait, what, you know, what's going on? And I explained it to him, and he goes, oh, can I take a look? I did not know Chris at all at that time, and I thought, oh, right, sure, you know, this guy's going to fix it right here. Uh, sure enough, he crawls underneath and figures it out in uh, 10 seconds. <laughs> And I was like, what? And he, he sticks his hand up underneath, doesn't look at it, he just sticks his hand up there and he goes, oh, the vacuum hose was not stuck onto the uh, the vacuum actuator. <laughs> and I, I was like, what? So he 
puts it back on. I start up the car. Boom, it works. I mean, he fixed it in within a couple of minutes. It was working again. Awesome. Uh, the, of course, the shop that I talked to didn't offer that solution. I think they just wanted to sell parts and labor. But um, so uh, here's a little bit more detail about that. Thank you. Um, I remember we were getting ice cream, and <clears throat> you had mentioned it. And uh, before we even got to the Brandy's house, I was in the parking lot at the ice cream shop looking at it and trying to fix it, but I couldn't get my hand up in the dash good enough. And I said, well, let's just leave and we'll try to figure it out. So uh, I guess on the way back, you had mentioned that you wanted to get it fixed. And one of the shops said, oh, it's going to be too much work. You know, just have us do it. And I said, well, anyway, we get back to the Brandies and I, uh, I start by disassembling the glove box lid and People were saying, that's hard to do. I said, well, not really. And I ended up, I ended up pulling the glove box insert out and that gave perfect access to get the, uh, the vacuum hose back on the little bellows right. of the solenoid. And I forgot about that, but now I clearly remember yeah. that happening. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's very uh, easy to, to knock it off, especially if it's not pushed on all the way. So if you're working on your radio just be careful that you don't knock any any items off or those well there's so many vacuum tubes back there. right there's lots to disturb and sometimes you can make new problems when you're fixing other ones <laughs> and ryan you had a similar problem didn't you i did last year uh i was driving the car had the air conditioning blasting and all of a sudden that center vent just stopped working and the first thing i thought was the vacuum line had come off or maybe it cracked and lost vacuum so I got poking around up there and the actuator is a plastic actuator mounted on the side of the distributor box. And it's like a half, a half circle of plastic and it's hollow and it just snapped right off. And I decided, well, okay, I'll just buy a new actuator, but you can't buy that particular one because they're different than the other vent flaps. Uh, the other ones are metal. So did a little dig in and found a piece, believe it or not, PEX pipe fit right over it. Um, just had to sand it down a little bit to fit through the, the bracket so it would function properly. We glued a piece of PEX pipe right over it and it's been working great ever since and saved me like a hundred bucks in parts. <laughs> and if you go to the episode page on DeLorean Talk for this episode, we'll put the pictures up there. You can actually see what, what Ryan's talking about. But yeah, you gotta have those vents working because, uh, without them, like you said, you're in a convection oven. <laughs> <laughs> So like I said, there were a couple other questions that came in about suspension and uh, Dave McKean's relays. I, I know both of you have experience in both of those areas. Yes. Um, well, Chris, do you want to take this one to start? Well, back when uh, I got my car in late 09, there wasn't too many options available. And now we seem to have quite a few different things. But uh, the common popular shock replacement at the time was doing SPACs, I believe. I think you... I think you have SPACs on your car right now, and they've been good. And I, I love them. They seem to be popular, yeah. Um, and for a, basically a, a conventional suspension upgrade, you really can't go wrong with SPACs or with uh, the AVO-branded shocks. They're both available. They're kind of the same, really. But uh, now we have some new options, and Ryan, you can probably talk about your experience with the QA1 shocks and and how that works. Sure. I just installed a set of QA1s on 5292, and it's a really cool shock setup because you're getting a shock with a coilover spring instead of having the independent shock and spring setup. The great thing about it is it's really a lot easier to install the whole unit as one mm -hmm. piece instead of having to compress a spring and then put the shock in there. Now, the one modification you do have to do on the front control arms, the lower control arms, is you have to remove that ring where the right. stock spring sits because that ring will actually interfere with the movement of the QA1 shock. So good time. If you're going to go that far, I'd recommend boxing in the lower control arms too. just gives you a little bit more stability on those stamped sheet metal lower control arms. Right. Hey, question. So the QA1s are the, the coilover shocks. Yes. Uh, most are not coilover. Is that right? And you were just saying it's easier to install it as a single unit than having to compress the coils yourself? Correct. Suspension setup is a shock and then a, a spring, a coil spring. 
the spring is held in place between the frame and the lower control arm. And then to replace all that, you actually have to use some sort of a spring compressor to, to take the tension off the suspension so you can get that spring out. It can be difficult because there's not a lot of room in there. Yeah. I, I don't know, Chris, what you've used. I, I use a clamshell uh, I got at Harbor Freight, and it works good, but it, I, it, it's, it's a big um, – it's a big tool, so you don't you have right. to get a lot of the suspension out of the way in order for it to work properly. Right. So in the past, I've had luck with doing a minimal component removal by lifting up the hub and the upper control arm as a as a whole, and 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 lifting it out of the way, and then using traditional uh, spring compressors, you know, one on either side, and. Uh, was able to fit it in and, and remove the springs without having to disassemble all of the front suspension. That always seemed to work for me, but I always kind of liked the idea of that kind of clamshell compressor because you get a lot more, uh, I guess, better clamping and it's easier to, to use because you just use a ratchet on it and there's not as much stuff to get in the way. But I think the hardest thing when you're disassembling a stock car is removing the front springs because they're so tall. You really have to grab a lot of coils, at least like four or five coils to, to compress it enough and remove the spring. That, that's one of the hardest things that I, I had when I started working on my car was it was trial and error. And uh, eventually I figured out that you need like five coils to, to compress <laughs> yeah. it enough and so you can... Oh, yeah. Putting in a, a shorter front spring is easier because you don't have to compress as many coils to get it back in. I am curious to know how the car sits on these AV, on these uh, QA1 shocks. Well, um, from my experience, it sits very well. Uh, we've taken it for quite a test drive after we redid all the suspension. So all the bushings got replaced, tie rod ends, the ball joints, upper and lower, the upper control arm bushings, everything was done at the same time because the suspension was in dire need of it anyways. Mm -hmm. With the QA1s, you can set each corner spring ride height. So you can raise it up a little bit in the front. If it, if it's too low, you can raise and lower the rear, which that's a pretty cool feature because on the SPAC shocks, which I have on on my car, you can only raise and lower the rear. Exactly. So that gives you a little bit more versatility, but you also have the preload dampers that you can set just like the spec shocks. There's a little mm -hmm. knob at the bottom and you can set, you know, how, how tight you want that suspension to feel. And it rides like a, a brand new car. Well, I can't say a brand new car because there still is a 40 year old technology difference, but it rides right. so much better than that original style suspension. Now comparing that to my car with Yours. the, with the spec shocks, they're real comparable. There is a difference in handling. Uh, we also put on 5292, the, uh, uh, what you call it, the uh, lower control arm stabilizers. Right, the braces. Yeah, and I can tell you that will give you a big benefit when braking and cornering because you don't get that brake steer. Do mm -hmm. you ever notice, in, in, and I have to do a Back to the Future reference for a second, but in, <laughs> in Back to the Future, when Marty slams on the brakes when he gets back to 1955, when he goes by his old development and you see the car oh, right. kind of go to the side, oh, yeah, right. watch that it, front it, wheel. It and it's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and that helps get rid of that. So it's, it's a lot more sturdy going into those uh, brake setups and, and turning. Right. Um, big difference there. I have a set of Ed Uding's control arm braces on my car and I think they're a great improvement. Now, is that the, the style like uh, DeLorean Go sells? Exactly. That's what DeLorean okay. Go sells. Uh -huh. What are the control arm braces? I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with that. So one of the limitations of our suspension is that the lower control arm is not what you would call a traditional A arm that you would have on a, on most cars these days. Uh, it's just a, basically a single pivot up and down. The, the idea is that there's opportunity for the control arm to flex forward and backward mm -hmm. too much. Now, the uh, the sway bar is supposed to minimize that, but it only can do so much. So what several different vendors have come up with are these braces. They essentially uh, create a kind of like a pseudo A-arm on the lower control arm by, by giving the uh, control arm more support. So there's a, more points of attachment, I guess you can say, instead of just one. Hmm. 
Okay. Cause they connect to the pivot point for the lower control arm and to mm-hmm. where the shock, the lower shock bolt is. So you're really getting a little bit longer bolt there and they go on each side, like, like Chris said, um, which assists because that sway bar is what gives you all that movement stock. If, if you're, I have a stock setup that sway bar is what's taking all the brunt of the braking and steering and everything. And that's a lot right. of workout for that sway bar. Mm-hmm. So if you put in the control arm braces that you can get on online, DeLorean Go and Ned Uding, you, you still keep the sway bar. Oh, of course. Okay. Yes. Yes. Now, speaking of sway bars, another highly recommended upgrade is polyurethane sway bar bushings. Mm-hmm. Right. And the one, the best kit I've seen is Toby Peterson's. Um, his fits the lower control arms perfectly. Everything is spot on. And I've installed three of his kits now. And they're definitely the best on the market that I've seen. When Chris Miles was here in Vegas this last year, I was there, saw him installing that kit, Toby's kit on a car and looked pretty straightforward. Like even I could do it and I'm not a mechanic. Oh yeah. It's, it's yeah. not hard. It's just time consuming. <laughs> yeah. Like everything else. <laughs> <laughs> as far as other kinds of bushing replacements, back when I did my car, uh, new old stock suspension bushings were the only thing available and they were like, I don't know, like 30 to $40 a piece. Mm-hmm. So b- multiply that by, you know, how many bushings that are on the car. And I said, well, it was more cost effective to buy polyurethane bushings. So, that's what I decided to put in my car. So uh, the uh, rear lower control arms, the, the lower links, I have those polyurethane. A lot of people like the polyurethane over the old rubber, right? They don't they last depends. longer? They last longer. They're stiffer. But Definitely. now with uh, the reproduction of the suspension bushings, which are like super cheap now, it's yeah. it's kind of a decide what you want to spend. But uh, What's the benefit of, of rubber versus the poly? Benefit wise, um, poly is going to be stiffer. Like Chris already said, it's, if you're a real aggressive driving, uh, excuse me, if you're a spirited driver, um, <laughs> then, then a poly might benefit you more because the suspension will, will be stiffer. You won't feel as much movement, shall I say, under the car, but you're going to feel more of the bumps. Yeah. But that also depends on your, your suspension settings and your shocks too. Okay. Mm-hmm. The shocks are going to be what really take up the the brunt of the the bumps. The the bushings, basically, uh, how do I say this? They uh, that all the suspension moves, and that's where all your joints are. Or you're going to have a bushing. So with rubber, it's going to be a little bit softer. You're going to have more of the original ride. With the poly, it's just going to be it's going to be a stiffer ride as far as turning and all that. But as as far as bumps, that's just that's mainly your shocks, okay, shocks and spring setup. Okay. Which ones do you guys prefer? I mean, Chris, you, you put the poly on. Mm-hmm. Do you wish you had the rubber now? Uh, probably not. One of the ones that I think is uh, is good for the polyurethane is you can buy polyurethane trailing arm bushings. The benefit of that is is you don't want to replace those a lot. So if you get the polyurethane ones, the you last have longer. to. Yeah. yeah. And – Another benefit is with polyurethane bushings, the way they're designed is you can actually torque the car when the car is lifted off of the suspension. With rubber bushings, the way they're constructed, the suspension needs to be loaded basically on the ground in order to torque everything. So I thought having polyurethane made it a little bit easier to do some of the work just because you have more access to torque bolts and things when the car is lifted up. So Mm. uh, another idea to think about. And Ryan, you prefer the rubber or the poly? I like a combination of, of the two, quite honestly. I like the rubber for pretty much the whole suspension minus the sway bar. I, I do have the poly in, on my sway bar just because, like I said before, that that's taken up a lot of your steering and braking. Um, everything else is, is plain rubber because it's uh, it gives a little bit more. And I look at it this way, and I could be wrong. I, I'm just one, it's my opinion only. Here, but you know these frames on these cars are not quite as stout as other vehicles. Okay, if you look at it, it's it's a lot of stamped sheet metal welded together, and when you start stiffening up points that are going to have a lot of movement and twisting involved in it, then you may start possibly twisting your frame. I don't know if that's going to actually happen. And I guess you'd have to really drive the car really hard to get that to happen. But I just think 
I mean, the bushings that were in my car lasted 40 years. So if I put brand new rubber ones in, they should last another 40 years. So. And hey, you, you worked on a lot of cars, a lot of vehicles over the years. So it's not like uh, your opinion doesn't count for something. If I had that opinion, you know, who cares what I think? I don't have the experience you do. So going back to the suspension, though, because uh, you talked about the QA1, you talked about SPACs, uh, Chris mentioned the AVO shocks. Mm-hmm. You guys have seen a lot of stuff out there. You've talked to a lot of other owners. What other options are there? And generally, what are the cost differences? What What's the reason to go with any of the different manufacturers, K&W? I, I believe it's K&W. I, they're purple and yellow. Uh, somebody just recently posted something online asking about them. And I've, I've only ever seen those, um, at DCS in 2018, Wolfgang Hank was talking about them, that he puts them on cars over there in Germany, but I've never seen those for sale here in the mm. States, but they say they're built just for the DeLorean. And mm. I guess some people are saying that the QA ones are a generic shock, but I mean, they seem to work good to me. So I, I don't really know all the ins and outs of that particular brand. I just know it's something out there available for folks. What do you have in your cars for both of you? I have the AVO shocks. I've I've had both. I've had SPACs, and then I decided I wanted to try something different just to see. So I bought a set of AVO shocks, and I don't know. They, they seem about the same. I haven't had any firsthand experience with any of the newer options. I, I mean, uh, Ryan said that the QA1 system is good. Josh claims that he has special valving that he has them do. So, I mean... That would be helpful if if they've been tuned for the car. What about cost on all these? Uh, for me, it sounds like there's not a huge difference between all the different brands uh, with regard to performance or, or feel, ride feel. Mm-hmm. Which ones are the least expensive? Which ones are the most expensive that you guys recall? Uh, these options are, that we're talking about are would be considered the upgrade or the uh, the higher performance option. I know, Dave, you like to just keep your car the way it is. You like how it drives. So if you ever needed a suspension change or you wanted to get new shocks, I would just say get a, a set of new original style shocks that DeLorean Europe sells. And they're like $300, half as much as what the other ones go for. And oh, they it. offer a, uh, you know, an original style mm-hmm. shock within a, you know, original ride for, for recreations of the original shocks, it's three, it's a, somewhere around $300 each, or is that for two or four? No, for, for like four of them. It's not that much. Okay. Pretty good price for all four of them. The original shock was a girling shock. Correct. And I don't think girling makes those shocks anymore. So they've come up with something overseas that's real similar in design and, and handling of the original shock. Uh, the new old stock rears are available, um, but they're new old stock. So, you know, you can, <laughs> they're 40 years old. Yeah. So I mean, you can, you know, get your own idea. And the seals are probably not going to be trustworthy, right? Or who knows? I mean, who knows? they could be fine. They just, you know, it's up to the person. And the price difference you're saying is, is double. Whatever people can see on the car, I want to leave original, but for stuff like that, I am, I, I find putting new stuff on. Because um, generally people don't see the the suspension, uh, but there's right. also a question for cost. If I'm not a spirited driver, which I actually think that I am in the DeLorean, uh, you know, I probably could see going up, but it's double the cost from 300 to 600 bucks. About you're saying? I'd say so. As Chris was saying, I was I'm actually online while we're while we're talking, looking to get kind of pricing ideas. And the full shock set from DeLorean Europe is about 300 bucks, like Chris was saying. Mm-hmm. And when the um, the SPACs, if you if you were to go with a SPACs shock, you you really would want to replace your springs with those to get that that lower ride height. And you're you're looking at about twelve hundred bucks for the complete shocks and the springs. And the springs are the DeLorean Europe springs, so they get the lower the lowered springs for the front and the rear. And then I can tell you from experience, the QA ones cost right around fifteen hundred bucks for the QA ones. Now, get to remember. The QA1s is a coilover shock, so you're getting your springs and, and your shocks all in one setup there. If you compare an apples to apples, just to replace the shock is going to be your cheapest bet. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. like your ride height and all that stuff. Is that the main reason for replacing the, the front springs is ride height? Correct. Yes. I'm fine with my original 
27 inches between the tire and the, and the, <laughs> and the body. Um, other people want that to be super low. So that's really the only reason to replace the springs because the original springs are fine, right? Correct. Got it. So yeah, if you're doing the QA1 coilover shocks, you're, you're replacing both, but they're, adju- are they adjustable? Can you yes. change the ride height? Oh yeah. Yeah. As I said, each shock has got an adjustable spring. So you can change the raise and lower the front, raise and lower the rear and the QA1 and the SPACs and I believe the AVOs. And I can't tell you much about the other ones there, the KMW, whatever they're called. The, uh, they all have that preload adjustment on it to set the preload on the shock. So you can like set the fronts a little bit softer than the rear, which is recommended since most of the weight of the car's in the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. You had mentioned that preload before. I didn't know what that was. So that's basically preloading the springs, uh, changing the height. It's valving inside the shock for the, the fluid travel. Oh, it's okay. It's in the shock, not the spring. Got it. Right. Right. So what I was interested to know is how slammed, quote unquote, does the QA1 uh, make the DeLorean look? I like to have a little bit of space in between the wheel well and the wheels. So on 5292, when we started, somebody had put a set of, I believe they were older KYBs on the front, and they basically compressed the front spring to the point where you could barely get your finger in between the coils. Oh, wow. That car rode horrible. And I wouldn't recommend KYBs to anybody for a DeLorean, honestly. So when I got all that stuff off, uh, and that car would actually, if you had the steering wheel turned all the way to the left and you were like going into a, into a parking lot, you could hit the front tire into the, into the lip <laughs> of the, the wheel wells. So you had to be real careful with it because of the way they had it all jacked up. After everything was replaced, I actually set the car to the same ride height as what my SPACs are. I measured from the top of the tire to the, the mm-hmm. bottom of the arch of the fenders all the way around and then set the car up to the same. So it had that same spacing and it looks great. And I, there's plenty of room to go up if I want to raise it up higher. Um, okay. There's plenty of room to go down if I really want to slam it, but you know, roads these days, you don't want to go too low. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I have a good, like maybe three finger, um, distance on the front okay. on my car, two and a half to three finger. I don't, I don't have it all measured out specifically by memory, but that's around two inches between the tire and the fender. Yeah. Okay. I think mine's about an inch and a half on the front, about two inches in the rear between Mm -hmm. the the tire and the fender opening. Awesome. Again, Ryan is more of a mechanic. Chris is self-taught, but uh, you both have done a lot of work. Is changing the suspension something that a non-mechanic can do by themselves, or is it easier with another person or is it something that you kind of want to get your local club to help you out with? It's a big job. Uh, if you don't have any mechanical experience, it can take you some time. You can do it. There are some specialty tools that you will need, uh, especially when it comes to bushings, pressing them in. You, a press is definitely needed for pressing the bushings in and out. Uh, makes mm-hmm. the job a lot easier. And then the other thing to think about, I mean, your ball joints on the bottom lower control arm are pressed in. The upper one is riveted in, so you got to, cut the old rivets and bolt the new ones in. And then that upper control arm, you got to be very careful pressing the bushings in and out because again, it's a piece of stamp sheet metal. And if you press them out and you're not paying attention, you can actually crush the upper control arm, the both sides. If, if you, Oh, you did that, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've, I've replaced a few sets of those and I found, and some people think it's probably ridiculous, but we take a piece of um, stainless that's curved like the back of that control arm and weld it in between the two sides. So when you press the bushing in and out, it helps stabilize those two sides. So it doesn't crush and you you still, still watch it of course, because you don't want to have any damage, but it definitely aids in replacing those bushings. Hmm. Do you have pictures of that Ryan that we can put on the episode page? I do. I can send them to you. Okay. Awesome. Great later. Uh, There are uh, some vendors who won't sell you the bushings. They want you to buy the complete control arm. So keep that in mind if if you're uh, shopping around for parts. And uh, there is also a polyurethane bushing available for those as well, if that's something you're interested in. Ryan, yes, we touched on it for a second about boxing in the control arms. You've explained it to me in the past – um, if you could re- explain it again, because boxing in for people that don't understand this stuff, what does that mean? Well, if you were to have a lower control arm in your hand, a stock one, the the bottom of it's open. Um, it's like if you were to do a 
and it's it's a U shape. So what boxing it in basically is doing is you're welding in a panel all along the bottom side of that control arm to make it a, a square from a U to a, a square. And that will give you a lot more stability in that control arm. It doesn't flex as much. It'll take some of the twisting motion out of that control arm and will help with, if you've ever seen pictures of the control arms ripping or breaking mm-hmm. from age, uh, I've seen some floating around on the internet that will also help with, with that problem because you're reinforcing that control arm and making it a lot sturdier than stock. Nice. And obviously that takes some welding, but I know you use uh, stainless steel on the, when you're boxing that stuff in, but most anything would work. Yeah, you can use regular steel. It's a 14 gauge steel is what they use to um, press those lower control arms. So regular steel can work. Good time to bead blast it all down, replace all your bushings and then paint it or have them powder coated. And I believe actually DeLorean Go sells pre-cut laser cut panels that you can weld in. So if you're not confident wow. enough to cut them out, cause you do have to leave a hole in the bottom for the shock to go up through. That's the other thing. You can't just put a solid sheet in there. You got to think about the ball joint. And the shock, the shock actually, when it's put on the car, goes up through the lower control arm and then into the shock tower. And right. you got to put that bolt in. So, yeah, DeLorean Go, I, I know they sell them pre-cut, ready to weld. Huh. So they'll save you some time. <laughs> nice. If you don't have any welding experience, I was lucky enough to find a machine shop in town. And uh, I've used them several times. And, and they were able to uh, uh, make the plates and weld them in a a set of uh, control arms. So about how much you're in central California is about how much mm-hmm. was that? Oh, it's been a few years ago. I can't remember. Okay. I mean, it was an outrageous number. Like it wasn't $500 or was it um, reasonable? Something that I would say it was maybe 300 bucks at most. Got it. But cool. I can't remember. Chris, you said you had the AVOs on your, your car. Yes. And what springs are you running? I, uh, I'm running the original rear springs. I was going to ask you what you thought about that. I had thought I had no desire to lower the rear of it. So I said, I'm not going to change the springs, but, um, <clears throat> I have a set of lowering springs from a guy in England who doesn't make them anymore. So they're not really oh, okay. worth mentioning. Well, no, because when I was looking at springs, I had, uh, Dimitri actually, uh, the gentleman that does the Bluetooth mods. Mm-hmm. For the radios, he sent me a picture of a stock front spring, a he's narrow front spring for their lowering kit, the ones that come with the AVO shocks, or you can get with those. And then he sent right. me a picture with the uh, DeLorean Europe spring sitting next to it. And the DeLorean Europe spring is actually about another half an inch to an inch shorter than the ones that made these cells. Oh, I don't want, I don't, I don't want that short. Well, actually. Like I said, I'm running the DeLorean Europe's on my car all the way around, and I love it. I have not bottomed out. I have not hit, you know, had the tire scrub, the fender, or nothing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's they've been great springs, and they they're a beefier spring than the ones that DeLorean sells too. So they they probably have a better spring rate than the Smeezy ones. Well, uh, the Smeezy is called the Ibox suspension. Well, the only Ibox is the spring. The the shocks are AVO shocks. Right. And, um, I had, I had those springs on the red car and I, I didn't like the way they sat. They were really, really low. Huh. That must be the combination of maybe it's cause it's a smaller spring. You know, the actual material isn't quite mm-hmm. as heavy duty. So maybe they sit a little bit lower just because they're, they don't hold the car up as well. I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you've seen pictures of my car. Um, well, heck you've, you've seen my car. So yeah. But anyways, I was just curious. Awesome discussion about suspension, the difference between the shocks and the coils, great uh, input on the prices and whether or not somebody like me can do it. I would say that before anybody, and this is just the world according to Dave, before you're going to go do this, talk to some other owners and see what other people have done. If Especially if you have any local owners, go see if they're willing to give you a hand, find out what they've done, and uh, I think you're probably going to be pretty good. I would assume that both of you guys did it by yourselves, right? Yes. I mean, I did. Chris? Uh, I'd say some of it. I mean, I have always had my buddy in town that we do stuff together on our car. So we've, we've helped each other out. And, you know, sometimes we don't do the whole job in one day. So yeah, I'll be working alone or I'll have a hand. But, you know. Sure. Okay. Well, 
Actually, let me let me uh, edit my uh, answer and say actually I did most of it, but my dad is a much better welder than myself, so I had him do the boxing in and and any of that stuff. <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, hopefully that answers questions for people, and hopefully that's good detail for the people that are out there. One of the other questions was about Dave McKean's solid state relays. I know Chris has turned me on to a couple of them, and a lot of people are getting them. Love that he has created them. Uh, the, they're not super cheap, but they're going to be trustworthy for a long time. What are your guys' experience with Dave McKean's solid state relays? What have you installed? What have you bought? What have you helped other people with? And why should people use them? Chris? I think I was uh, one of the early, early adopters. I think I've uh, had his RPM relay uh, for, I don't know, eight years or so. What does the RPM relay do? Uh, the reason why there's so much buzz about solid state relays is because uh, one of the weak points of the DeLorean is the electrical system. And um, getting on 40 years, those components tend to wear out or degrade. There's just degrade or there's just uh, advancements. And Dave is, uh, I'd say he's a genius, but um, <laughs> he uh, has figured out how to design and build a set of solid state electronics into the footprint of a electrical relay. So it's basically, you know, a square. So it's, it's pretty amazing. His first product was the RPM relay. The RPM relay is critical for the fuel pump. It is what powers the circuit. It is uh, always running when the car is running. So when you think about uh, mechanical type devices, they tend to generate heat. So uh, the benefit of solid state is there's no moving parts. It's digital, essentially. It's, it's microprocessor controlled. And there's little or not as much heat given off. So because the RPM relay is so important to run the car, I think that's probably why Dave designed it in the first place. If you drive your car for a good hour on a stock RPM relay, it would probably be too hot to touch. And that's the outer plastic. Wow. And, uh, you know, just the thought of that sounds like uh, it's probably uh, not the <laughs> not best thing. <laughs> in that so, enclosed compartment in, behind the yes, passenger in the, seat. In the relay compartment, you know, right, it's hard to get to if you had to quickly disassemble it. So the RPM really is, is great. Uh, it runs cool. Uh, I haven't had any problems in the time that I've been using it. And it's plug and play. The, uh, the most basic of, uh, DeLorean owner could could put it in and uh it's about a hundred bucks for his relay pretty much it's probably the uh the biggest no-brainer electronic upgrade you can get for the car and I you know I recommend it um, to everybody I talk to in fact uh, a little plug because the actual housing of the relay and the electrical pins of the relay aren't reproducible or easily reproducible, Dave actually reuses all of that. So he, he'll take your original unit, disassemble it, rebuild it, and then send it back. Uh, the problem with that is, is you can't that drive the car during that you time. can't drive the car. <laughs> so you can either pay a, a large core fee, essentially you're buying two relays almost at, at once and then you can send him your relay or uh, if you give me an email I have a low cost uh, option that you can do you can essentially buy a core relay that I'll even send in for you and uh, Dave will, uh, will return the upgraded unit and it, it saves any downtime on your car I mean some people don't use their car very often, so they don't have any problem. But other people who want to drive it or if they have a gig or they need to have their car running, it's a kind of a nice, uh, a nice thing that I don't mind doing. And you get to keep your original, original. relay as a spare and it's yeah. not destroyed. Now, if yours is already burned out, then fine, send it in, you know. But uh, right. if, if your original is working and you want to spare and you just want to have a more seamless thing, then just uh, I can do that for you. But I know that you did that for me where I, was, I wasn't I was really on the fence, but I wanted to do it. 
And ultimately, you had gone out, you've scoured and found the cores, basically the housings. And mm-hmm. that's what that's what you're selling. So you have those listed on DeLoreanMarketplace.com, right? Correct. So DeLoreanMarketplace.com, if you're looking to do an RPM relay, check out the listing on there under parts for sale. Doesn't the RPM relay do something else? Isn't there another benefit to it? Is that the one that keeps the fuel pump uh, primed? The Well, McKean's relay will prime the pump like about a half a second, I think, or so when you're going to start the car where the original one doesn't do that. So when you're turning the ignition switch with your key to start the car, you'll actually hear buzz for a second as it primes up that fuel system in case it's lost pressure or something overnight. Right. And I hear that every time now when I, when I start my car, doesn't it also keep the fuel pump primed for a certain number of hours? I think he says three hours mistaken. Yes. So uh, you can enable the relay to blip the fuel pump for a second for three hours every hour. And that keeps or or helps keep fuel pressure um, in the system. Which helps avoid the hot start problem, right? Yes, exactly. Because And the hot start problem is that, why don't you, I will probably screw it up. So why don't you explain what the hot start problem, what the cause is generally? The the main component to the K-Jet system that, that prevents the hot start is the fuel accumulator. And uh, over time, the internals of the fuel accumulator will break down and it no longer is able to hold the back pressure of the fuel system. And all of that pressure leaks out. So if you have a slow leak, the idea is that the solid state RPM really will help extend the fuel pressure for three hours and you shouldn't have any problems. But on the longer term, uh, buying a new fuel accumulator will will be the best option for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's also really expensive, isn't it? You're about a hundred well, bucks. Hundred bucks, yeah. If oh. uh, one of these uh, tech talks, we'll probably get into how do we buy DeLorean parts without using vendors. So that'll be something <laughs> to, to to watch out for. Got it. So Ryan, you how long have you had the RPM relay for? Um, let's see, I think I purchased mine shortly after I figured out that Dave McKean existed and had all these really cool products because I, I saw something, I think it was on DMC talk, uh, a forum somewhere, but I read about the solid state RPM relay and found his website and discovered all these wonderful electronic items that he sells. And so first thing I bought was his solid state relay, RPM relay and the fan fail unit. And the fan solid state fan relay about those three, because again, as Chris stated earlier, we all know that the electrical system is probably the, the weakest link on this car on the DeLorean. And I was trying to nip all that stuff in the bud. Let's get everything that can be updated or replaced electrically to avoid having like a a high amperage draw or overheating a component. Uh, Like Chris said, that uh, RPM relay originally was like little coils in there that would heat up. And mine was at the point where you couldn't touch it after driving the car. It was so hot. Hmm. So I replaced that. I've had mine about two years now and it works great. I, I recommend it to every DeLorean owner and anybody that buys a new DeLorean, a new DeLorean, yeah. <laughs> new to them DeLorean, and they don't have those already installed. Those are the first three relays I recommend getting because of the uh, functions that they have. It's not just, you're slapping in a Bosch relay and, and rolling on with it. It's like Chris already explained the RPM relay. If you don't mind, I'll explain the other two real quick. Please. Uh, sure, go ahead. The solid state fan fail unit. As we all know, the original fan fail module was a fire hazard. Uh, so they came up with a, a Y jumper. It was like a two pieces of wire crimped together and plugged into that relay socket to keep your, your cooling fans for your radiator, your cooling of your car going but then that you loses your function for the cooling fan fail light in your dash so <laughs> it's evolved you know which but, by the way that that uh, fan fail light i'm yeah. willing to bet that most owners don't even realize that that's in there because generally it never comes on it's never lit up before <laughs> hopefully it's never lit up but uh, right. <laughs> i think a lot of people that bulb is probably burned out and <laughs> and it's also at the bottom of the center console where if you're driving, you, you don't look all, you're never looking down at your shifter basically at the very bottom plate. So 
Right. It's not like it's a blaring, you know, loud yellow anything. It's barely noticeable when it is on. Right. But the cool thing about this relay is, and you can test it when you get it, it's got the blue relay, so it kind of looks factory because the original one was blue, and it's got two small mini fuses in the top, one for each fan. And if one of the fuses blows, that light, instead of just coming on and being solid, will actually blink one, you know, it'll be a, a single blink and you'll try to get your attention. Hey, you got a cooling fan problem. Well, if both fuses blow, so neither of your fans are now working, it'll blink do a double blink and say, Hey, you got a problem. You know, you might want to pull over and figure out what's going on. Right. And it gives you all that in the directions and how to test it. So you can see the function of it, which to me is really cool. Cause again, we all know between the electrical systems and overheating of these cars, it's best to have every device possible working so you can avoid either of those. Right. <laughs> and then the to go one step further, the solid state fan relay, you actually have two fan relays. That first one, the blue one, is basically mainly for your, your fan function and that light. The f- solid state fan relay is cool because when your air conditioning cycles with all factory setup, when the compressor kicks on, it kicks your fans on at the same time. Now, if you're running OEM fans and, and everything, you get, you're talking about a, a big electrical dump every time that, that compressor kicks off. A big electrical draw. No, it's a, it's more of a, well, when it kicks on, it's an electrical draw, but when it shuts off, it's a dump. Wow. So oh, when happened, it turns off, yeah. Yeah. I've actually blew up a, a clock in my car because of that. Um, so wow. what happens is with this relay, you, all you get, it's a plug and play, just like the other one. It keeps the fans running for 20 seconds. So if you get your AC running, the, the compressor will continue to cycle like it's supposed to, but your fans will continue to run and it will shut off and come on with the compressor. So it takes about half that load off or so of that system. Which, which stops the overload of extra power by just killing the engine. It, yeah. You know, killing the engine, killing your electrical system. I mean, you're, you're talking quite a few amps backfeeding and right. you can, cause other damage that you might not realize right at Wow. So the solid state fan fail relay, I actually have not done that yet either. I've been bothering you to do it. Yeah, Chris has been, trust me, Chris has been bugging me about it. Uh, top of your head, do you remember about how much those are? They're about 80 bucks, 75 to 80 bucks for, for the, the fan fail relay. And is that the same thing that you have to send in your original? No. No. He just has those because it's a – oh, yeah, I've seen the pictures of it on his website, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll, I'll list the website in the episode uh, details. The, uh, it's a, it's a funky-looking thing. It looks like it's handmade, like he's carved, <laughs> he's carved the relay out of wood, but it's really just a, a giant a piece of epoxy that he's molded, and then right. it's got mm-hmm. two slots on top for the, for the right. fuses. Awesome. Um, I concur with Ryan that the fan fail and the fan relay are an excellent – choice. Over the years, there has been other fan controllers available. Probably one of the most popular was Rob Grady's line of Zilla products. Mm-hmm. And the fan Zilla was a, a common popular upgrade. And Dave's unit essentially replaces what the fan Zilla did. But the Zilla stuff is basically, he, Rob's not producing any of that stuff anymore, is he? I believe he had some Loxzillas remade. He might be able to get some of those. But um, check your relay compartments and see what you have. Uh, many people are probably still running that that factory recall jumper that Ryan mentioned, and uh, it's uh, factory recall. Just the just put the, a couple of wires. The company together. ran out of time. Essentially, they they closed up and they never were able to uh, redress that problem with the car. And ever since then. People have been running that, and uh, it works, but it's not a good idea. It's not ideal. Uh, some mm-hmm. people have augmented that by putting inline fuses in that in that jumper, and I guess that's uh, better. But uh, getting some of these relays are are a really good idea. Yeah, and yeah. even with that being said, the uh, the Y jumpers can go bad too. I've seen oh yeah photos of them getting heated up because it had bad crimps. Mm-hmm. It's basically just a spade connector, two pieces of wire. And wire, right. Like you said, some have a an inline fuse, which is probably better than not. But I just think going with that st- solid state relay, you're going to be better off in the long run anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Uh, something else to check, uh, depending on who worked on your car in previous years, some shops thought that since there wasn't any option or, or new product or fan controller, it was just simply best to hardwire the mm. fan fan relay socket and delete it. And so if you're in that camp, then uh, it will take a little bit more effort to reinstate that original circuit and some people might be scared away. So yeah. check and see if that's been done to your car. And uh, and I would say definitely. probably definitely. an easy way to do that is just open up, take that wood off, get into your your relay compartment and take several photos from different angles and then track down Chris and Ryan or anybody else that knows about this stuff and just send them the photos and say, what do I have? What should right. I be buying? Right. Yeah. What do I need to look uh, for? <laughs> yeah. As a matter definitely. of fact, uh, my car... Uh, fell into that category where they basically uh, connected all of the fan wires together. So when I was working on my car, I I, uh, I didn't like that. And at the time, there wasn't a fan fail relay available. So one of the popular modifications from years ago was rewiring the fan fail uh, relay socket to match the fan relay socket. So in a sense, now you have one relay powering each fan. And uh, I thought that was a neat idea because there wasn't anything else at the time. So that's what I have. I have two of Dave McKean's brown fan relays, and that's what's in my car. The solid-state fan fail relay, that's what shows the light on the center console if one or both of your fans fail. Then there is a separate fan relay that is solid-state and handles the power output. Uh, the power problem better. One basically is the power for the fans and operates that the little light that nobody pays attention to. And the other one helps delay the fans. It, it, it helps cycle the fans on and off. Got it. In, in basic terms. <laughs> Got it. And again, those are about 80 bucks for each one of those, right? For, yeah. Right. I was trying to find his, his price list, but it, it's about that. Got it. Cool. Those are the three that you guys would recommend that everybody get at the very least. The RPM relay, the fan fail relay, and the fan relay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you want to spend more money, then uh, Dave offers a lot of other cool cool gadgets as well. And they're worth looking into. Oh, yeah. I, I can also vouch for his Lambda relay. That's another relay that will get very hot in the relay compartment if you have a, an OE-style or a Bosch-style relay. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not your, it's not the same as the rest of the relays that are in that compartment. You know, you get a series of them for the headlights and the inside cabin fan that they're all the same, but the ones for the, the Lambda relay are actually a different relay in design and the factory style ones will get hot. So he also makes a uh, solid state one that helps keep that particular spot cool too. Nice. So on anybody that's interested, there's a, high-resolution downloadable PDF on DeLoreanDirectory.com that has a full layout of all of the relays and fuses in the in the relay panel. Um, I know, Chris, you and I have talked about this in the past. There's also other relays that you can buy online fairly inexpensively to replace the originals simply because Correct. if you still have the original ones that are 40 years old, again, they're electronics. They do degrade. And the technology has changed. So these new these Bosch relays are presumably not 40 years old, the new ones you can get. And Correct. it's probably not a bad idea just to replace them anyway, right? Right. Um, and to be honest, the original factory relays, they didn't have any Bosch logos on them. They weren't Bosch. The only Bosch lo- relay was the Lambda relay that I, that I could I remember seeing. And then over the years, people have bought Bosch relays to, to upgrade it. And right now, the current uh, available one happens to be this purple unit, and we'll, we'll link to it, and it's relatively inexpensive. And there's, what, six relays in there? Something um, like that? So there's one relay for the low beam, one relay for the high beam. There's a relay for the fans, the cabin fan speed three and speed four. There's a relay for the starter, and there's also a relay that runs some of the AC panel illumination, but uh, a lot of people remove that one. It's not required. I've removed it. Yeah. I actually pulled up that PDF, 
Um, so the number and they're they're all numbered. Number one on the on this map, number one says low beam relay, high beam. Re- number two is high beam relay. Th- number three is fan relay third speed. Number four is fan relay fourth speed. Five is interior lamp delay unit. Number six is the cool fan relay. Number seven is the fan fail nodule slash fused wire jumper that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Eight is the AC panel illumination resistor. Number nine is the starter relay. 10 is the AC panel illumination relay. 11 is the lambda relay. 12 is the rear defro- defog timer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know those that had a timer built in. Yeah, so it doesn't cook your back window. Yeah. Number 13 is door lock module. 14 is door lock circuit breaker. 15 is the RPM relay that we just talked about. 16, accessory relay 1. 17, accessory relay 2. Number 18 is the fan speed circuit breaker. Number 19 is the cool fan circuit breaker. Number 20 is the AC override diodes. So the, those two, the fan speed circuit breaker and the cool fan circuit breaker, are those the solid state ones we just talked about? The blue one in the corner. Number seven is the fan fail nodule, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So there's seven relay, or no, no, there's 12 relays in all, it looks like. 14, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are not normal relays. There's circuit breakers and some other things. But there's a number of number of relays that uh, if you replace with the solid state, great, but there's still four or five other ones that are standard that you can get Bosch replacements now for fairly low price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else for solid state relays or relays in general? Check your relays. I mean, it's just as important as changing your oil, really. And, and of course, while we're in that little subject, clean your fuses, you know, clean those, clean off the, the fuse tabs for, for any corrosion that might be in there. If, if you don't know, if you're a brand new owner and you don't know that, like Chris said, you don't know who had the car before you, just uh-huh. take, take five minutes and pull each fuse one at a time with a wire brush and knock off any corrosion that might be on those because that'll restrict the, the, the voltage, the, flow through everything and cause meltdowns that are so common in those fuse blocks. So if you have that corrosion, you end up building up a lot more heat as the electricity is trying to push through the, the circuit. Correct. And then that's what happens. That's how you end up melting the block. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's one of the ways, one of the reasons I know I, I, I had that happen as well. Um, somewhere along the lines, tell me if you guys agree with this. I had read that Pulling the blades out, and you could use fine grit sandpaper to clean them or wire brush, but they're pretty small. But the other problem is the actual uh, terminals. The terminals in the block itself, they can also build up corrosion. So someone a long time ago told me a, a nail emery board. Yeah. Um, you can, If you get a small one, you can stick those in there and basically just rub between the, the connectors to make sure that, that those are clean as well. That would work. And then something else to consider, too, the original – uh, fuse blocks in the terminals, the actual springiness and the tension that each terminal has can wear out. And that's another cause for concern because the fuse itself isn't sitting tight anymore. That could also help build up heat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was something else. When I first had my car, you know, my car sat for 27 years and I got it back. Uh, the shop shockingly did not replace all my fuses. I mean, it costs almost nothing to replace the fuses. So once I figured that out, I went and went and bought all new fuses. I even bought the ones that light up, you know, when they're out and it was really inexpensive. So if you haven't done that, just do it. There, it's almost no cost. And anybody, anybody can do that. If you follow the map or just replace the numbers one at a time. And it's even recommended to replace them every year. I mean, or at least take them out every year, clean them up and put them back in. Awesome. Well, you guys, this has been fantastic. Like I said, you've both taught me a lot of stuff over the last couple of years, and I hope that we do more of these uh, dedicated episodes for technical discussions, and we might even be able to have some special guests on uh, if that if it works out. Anybody that has questions, again, send email to comments at DeLoreanTalk.com, and I'll share them with Ryan and Chris, and we'll do another episode like this. Sure. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks again, you guys. And for everybody out there, thanks for listening. Be sure to check out DeLoreanDirectory.com. There's lots of information all over that site. If you haven't submitted a census record yet, or even if you have, submit a new one if things have changed on your car. Check out DeLoreanDirectory.com slash census. 
The data for that is all visible and available. And if you go look at the charts, it's interesting to see where all the cars are at and what the rand, you know, the average age of the owners are. There's a lot of fun details in there. Spread the word. Let other people know about DeLorean Talk and DeLorean Directory. And if you uh, if you haven't already, check out the DeLorean Talk website because every episode has a discussion section at the bottom as well as show notes. So go check that out when you get a chance. Drive safe and have fun. 